Hello, and welcome to The Roundtable, a Next Generation Politics podcast. Next Generation Politics is a cross-partisan nonprofit building a movement of young people committed to building bridges across various divides. I'm Sarah Cho, and this week, Inika Kodestani, Jade Tira, and I spoke about the aftermath of Super Tuesday and a week in which five presidential contenders dropped out, leaving two frontrunners on the ballot. We spoke about why we think things played out as they did, our feelings about where things stand, implications for the youth vote, which was lower on Super Tuesday than many had hoped, and what factors we're taking into account as we think about who we will vote for in our first presidential election. Thank you for joining us. Hi, my name is Inika Kodestane, and I'm a sophomore from New Jersey. And one thing that I put out of this week is definitely um, four of the Democratic candidates dropping out. And I think that is a symptom of a much larger issue of the lack of diversity among presidential candidates, which is something that I've seen. So now that Elizabeth Warren has dropped out, um, we're left with pretty much the way like every election has ever been, which is white and male. And though this, it's, it's, it's hard to see that as somebody who was like really looking forward to seeing a female president in 2016 and hopefully this year, um, I also think that it shows that there is definitely something lacking within our election system. So as much as we may preach diversity, we're definitely falling short somewhere, especially in politics. Hi, my name is Sarah, uh, Sarah Cho, and I am a high school senior in New York City. Um, and yeah, I definitely agree. Um, Inika, there's been a lot of stuff happening, especially with the you know Democratic presidential, the primaries, the Super Tuesday that just happened recently, which you know put two four uh, front runners um, on the list now, which is you know Biden and Sanders, and sort of I'm interested to see how that's going to play out all in all because uh, while Biden has achieved more states, of course um, Sanders had a major win in California, um, and the idea that. Again, yes, I believe that we do. We're seeing this pattern of lacking diversity, uh, not only in you know race and gender, but also in age as well. Um, and kind of seeing how uh, the youth will respond to the youth will kind of lean towards or support because um, there's definitely a lot of mixed feelings out there. And I think also it's interesting to look at current events and how that's playing into politics as well. Um, with the recent coronavirus, uh, as well as with, you know, policies surrounding um, climate change. It's just a really, you know, it's a time to really be looking at the news and really be examining how current events um, are shaping our politics. Hi, my name is Jade Tyra. I'm a high school senior from Oklahoma. And wow, this week has been quite a week. As someone who adamantly supports Bernie Sanders. Uh, it's been a very interesting week because there were there was a lot of uncertainty with Super Tuesday and the results weren't necessarily what we were hoping for. But I do, and there's definitely also now an issue with the diversity of our candidates. But I think it's also really important to look at the diversity of a base of supporters because even though, yeah, unfortunately, Bernie is another old white guy, um, you know, his voter base and his support, one of his biggest 
demographics is women of color under the age of 35. And then he has people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ilhan Omar like backing him. And so as disappointing as it is that we're not getting a woman president and how much I would love to have a female president, I think that what's really important right now is for us to look at where diversity and diverse groups of people and minorities and the working class are putting their vote. Just to sort of try to um, analyze why the four candidates, um, Buttigieg, Bloomberg, Klobuchar, and Warren dropped out, um, I feel like that can sort of be um, attributed to the sort of division that we're seeing within the Democratic Party right now. I know um, it's pretty much a fact that there's a huge divide between moderates and far lefts um, within the Democratic Party, Um, far left being Sanders and moderates being more Biden. And I think that the Democratic Party has really tried to push a more moderate candidate for the November election. And I think you can see that in the way that Buttigieg, Klobuchar, um, and Bloomberg dropped out and then promptly endorsed um, Joe Biden. I feel like that's just part of, like, of the issue that we're seeing, which we saw in 2016 too, is that the Democratic Party itself is incredibly divided. And if there's no way for us to overcome that within the party, then there's very little chance we can win the election. Like in 2016, it was the same thing as it is right now, except instead of Biden, it was Hillary Clinton. And there was once again that divide. And so you have not only your candidates divided in ideology, but your voters as well. So, I mean, I know from just like looking on social media that there's a lot of um, movement and hashtags are, that are like Biden or bust, Bernie or bust. And while that may be a sort of way of like rallying support for that candidate, if that candidate doesn't win the nominee, then you have that divide where you're like, well, I guess since my candidate didn't win, that's a bust. I won't go vote for the other candidate because they don't support my views. And so it's almost like it's the party's toppling over because you're losing basically half of your voters, probably less. But it's that number of voters that could seriously affect the election. So in order to have a, like the Democrats, you know, sort of like get their um, foot backed in the door of like being like in, in politics, they seriously need to find a way to sort of overcome their differences and try to back one candidate instead of having that division that's totally putting them in two. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of different reasons why particular candidates, you know, sort of saw their polls drop and their kind of popularity drop, I guess, in a lot of different ways. I think that um, it pertains to specific candidates, like for different reasons. For example, Buttigieg, I feel like many people thought he wasn't really diversifying his um, audience or his supporters, really. Like he was very popular with a certain select group of people, which were, tended to be white um, and kind of, I guess, slightly of a more moderate stance, but um, he wasn't really able to diversify those group of supporters. And um, also in terms of Warren, I feel like many people thought that, well, of course, sexism, I feel like did play a big role, but also um, the idea that she kind of presented herself as, you know, this like a capitalist, not a socialist in order not to be, in order like not to be lumped in with Bernie Sanders. And then she was a little bit, I guess, 
it confused some people where she had policies such as Medicaid for all, um, which kind of made her, I guess, lose a bit of focus in terms of branding and branding herself as a candidate, um, which I feel like worked against her in the end. Uh, but that's, of course, up for debate if anyone else had any other thoughts. No, I definitely think that the way that Warren went back and forth on Medicare for all after, like, I think it started around November, December when she stopped, when she started to lose that intense momentum that she had at the beginning of her campaign. And then she started to kind of decide whether or not Medicare for all was going to be something that she really drove into her platform and people at different events started asking her about it directly and she couldn't give a straight answer. And I think that's really when her campaign started to falter because if you can't give people like a straight answer about whether or not they're going to get healthcare coverage, they're going to find someone who can give them that answer. Um, moving on to one of the other candidates that dropped out, I was actually pretty surprised that Pete Buttigieg dropped out. Like I know that his... um his like support base, like it's not that diverse and anything, but um, he basically represented what most people wanted in a new president. They wanted someone who was younger, who could speak to an audience, who was different, you know? Like he was in a lot of things. He was incredibly intelligent. He was a Rhodes Scholar. He went to Harvard. He was in the Navy Reserves. Like he had everything on his resume and he was only 38. And it was, honestly shocking to me like I almost feel like it was sort of a sellout move for him to drop out and then endorse Biden like I thought you know he had great momentum for a while it did start dying down like even I can admit that but it was something that sort of came to a shock for me because I believe that though his supporters were not as diverse or verbal about their support as like Bernie Sanders supporters, they were definitely a lot of young voters that were supporting him because he was young and he had the capability and maybe not necessarily the experience, but the will to change the country for the better, even though he was more of a moderate. Yeah, I, I agree with you in a lot of sense that like, it, on one hand, I was shocked as well. But on the other hand, it was almost like, it's interesting to see how you know Trump and the Republican Party kind of had an impact on who people went for, I guess, in the primaries, and sort of the idea that, like, who can feasibly beat Trump. Um, and I think that while it's definitely true that Buttigieg represented a lot that I felt like many Americans wanted in a president, um, it also kind of came down to who they felt could successfully win the presidential election. I feel like we really started to see Pete Buttigieg falter after he couldn't give straight answers at the debates about his history and decision-making process while being the mayor of South Bend. Like when he couldn't answer questions about his history of like racism and police violence in South Bend, then I think a lot of his supporters that jumped on his bandwagon for a more progressive but not too progressive candidate, they started to realize that he couldn't even be that and that, I don't know, I I kind of explain Pete Buttigieg as having been a smarter, younger Biden, because I feel like they have a lot of the same policies and a lot of the same kind of drive. And so after people that, you know, saw him as being a young, gay, smart guy and thought 
maybe he's more progressive when he couldn't answer questions about his history of racism in South Bend. I think that's when they really started to kind of change their minds and put their vote in other places. And I guess going on to like this divide between younger and older voters, I'm a bit on the fence about it just because I know that both Biden and Sanders have like younger, I guess, younger voters who do support them. I think that the youth who are supporting Sanders are a bit more vocal about it. And in that sense, it could create some tensions. But I don't really know if like I foresee it becoming a full out war like battle between older and younger voters in this election. In terms of race, I know that Sanders, like one of the main reasons he won California was because there was a huge turnout of Latinx voters um, supporting um, Sanders and kind of how that affected his win in California, which is huge. So if anyone else has thoughts about that. I mean, I think a pattern we're seeing between older and younger voters is that older voters are focusing more on electability, while younger voters are focusing more on change especially for Biden. Biden has the majority of the older vote, and um, that can be seen through polls because typically more older voters are going out to vote. And I think the question is why, and the reason why is that they want to beat Trump. So they see Biden as a candidate that can actually feasibly do that versus younger voters who share more of the ideological similarities with um, Bernie Sanders. So they're going to the polls because they think that um, Sanders has the change. He has the right uh, policies that they want to see in action. And so that divide is sort of like posing the question, like, what is the president supposed to do? Or what is the Democratic nominee supposed to do? Are they supposed to be the Republican nominee or are they supposed to create change? And it's not it's not a clear cut answer, though, like, One could easily have like, oh, it's this, oh, it's that. It's not black and white. It's definitely, there's a lot of gray area because after such a polarizing term of Donald Trump, many people will be like, oh, you know, we need to defeat Trump no matter the cost, we need to get him out of office. And others are like, well, we should do that, but we should also make sure that we're changing policy. And I think trying to find that medium is really hard for younger and older voters because they're they're so far on different sides of the voter spectrum that it's hard for them to agree on what, like what they should focus on, how they should approach this upcoming election. And I think that's why there's such a divide between Biden, Biden and Bernie Sanders. Like it's the same pattern with moderates and far lefts. That's like the same pattern and same with race. It's same with age and ideology. It's just all these different things that are all layered on top of the same differences, which is what should the president do? Should they beat Trump or should they create change? If Bernie Sanders is the candidate for change and Biden is the candidate for electability, then I I like to pose the question, why wouldn't Sanders be electable if we all just elected him? Like, there's this idea that there's this set of standards of, like, you know, moderate enough to be electable. But if we want radical change, if we want new things, if we want Medicare for all, if we want a Green New Deal, then it's about who we elect. And, like, that level of electability can shift based on what people want. I hope and I think that that kind of change is what people want now and that is what's going to make an electable candidate also 
really fast. I wanted to bring up, um, you know, we talked about how there was an issue with young voter turnout. And I'm not seeing enough people talk about the fact that universities were having like one polling station for up to 40,000 kids. And so like places like UCLA had a four plus hour wait and universities in Texas had eight hour waits. And so like I'm seeing so many articles that are blaming young people for not getting out to the polls, but like young people work. And so staying in line for eight hours to go to the polling place at your university is just not feasible for so many people. No, yeah, that's definitely really true. I feel like there's a lot of factors that, you know, tie into why people don't vote that just aren't being addressed. Um, a, as it, as it hasn't for, for quite a few elections now. Um, and B, also to your point about electability, I think it is this weird paradox, right, where it's like, if you're voting for people based on how likely it is for them to get elected. It's kind of like, what does that even constitute? Like, what does it mean that someone is more electable? <laughs> um, like t taking kind of their policies out of the picture and just saying, oh, are they an electable candidate? Like, can they win? And I think that it's going to be really interesting with candidates like Sanders and Biden, who have very similar, like, I guess, identities, but also in policies, they're so drastically different and their audiences are so drastically different that it's like, it just all is going to come down to in the end, whether or not they're going to receive more support. Because it's like, just whoever wins the primaries, I feel like in the end, they're going to get the support of many of the other candidates, like audience as well, in terms of the general elections with against Donald Trump. Um, and so yeah, it's interesting to see how that's going to play out, whether it's going to be a more radical change, I guess, that's going to be supported or whether it's going to be a bit more of the moderate stance, I feel like, that Biden's going for. I mean, just like to set, like, I don't know what you guys or who you guys think is going to be the Democratic nominee, but me personally, I have no idea because I guess it really just depends on how people are swayed. Like, what they decide to put first like i know there's things in the media all the time like oh you know sanders visited so like the soviet union like way back when so like what does that mean for america or like i'm sure biden has some stuff on him too hunter biden you know his son <laughs> and i think it's just it's so dynamic like it, it's almost like a pipe dream to think that people vote based on ideology or electability or like there's plenty of other things. I think it's more like, to put it simply, <laughs> the American people, we're kind of stupid. So when it comes to picking a candidate, we just sort of take in information and then we just regurgitate it out. So if we hear one thing from a biased news source, you know, that automatically changes our point of thinking and we're like, oh, wait, you know, I'm not going to do that. Sanders is a communist. I'm going to vote for Biden. Or like, you, you just hear something else and you're like, wait, like Biden's corrupt? No, I'm going to vote for Sanders. Like it's sort of that back and forth that's constantly going on. It's so hard to like make predictions for these type of things because especially today you have social media, you know, there's fake news everywhere and it's hard to like put your finger on what is true and what is just propaganda at this point. So really predicting a democratic nominee is like close to impossible at this point. There also is the whole issue with the DNC and the Electoral College, like even after 
we have all of these primary elections when it gets to the convention we still like might not even know like it still could just be a mess it's like we still have such a, a system that doesn't work and a system that isn't for the people and so these results that we might get might not even be representative of what people actually want and the change that people actually want and I think it's kind of prominent looking back at the DNC's candidate preference throughout history that they will probably, if not definitely, side with Biden um, because, you know, he is the more moderate candidate and he's not really looking to shake up the systems. And he's also not interested in a popular vote, which is something that Sanders has talked about for years. Um, changing our election system to being for the people and to having, you know, a direct popular vote. Even after all the polls and all the numbers are crunched, it still could all just be messed up. No, yeah, I definitely agree that there's still a lot of factors that um, need to be taken into account that we don't even know because it's going to happen in the future. Like, again, with the problem of the Electoral College and, you know, gerrymandering, the fact that, like, different boundaries are kind of being skewed with in order to kind of give preference to certain groups or parties um, in the Electoral College. But also, it's interesting to see in the future where the votes of the other, you know, four candidates that dropped out, like where they're going to be placed, because there's a lot of debate right now about how voters are going to be split from other candidates who dropped out. And I think that, you know, Bloomberg showing his support for Biden, like that's one thing. And also, like, Warren, I know, is receiving and some pressure to, I guess, support Bernie, but also, I don't know, there's been articles that I've been reading where they're like, oh, it's very likely that her voters are going to be split down the middle just because while policy-wise, it might make more sense for the voters to kind of support Sanders. On the other hand, like with Biden and Warren both being Democrats and Sanders is, well, he caucuses with the Democrats, but he's technically an independent, like how that will factor into it. Um, and so there's just a lot of other things in the future that we can't really foresee yet in terms of who's going to be receiving the votes that aren't being accounted for right now. I think something that's also incredibly worrying is, as I've stated before, the polarization of the party itself. I mean, if neither of um, Biden or Sanders gets 1,991 delegates, it's up to the, national, the Democratic National Convention. And if Sanders ends up getting the popular vote, there's going to be a huge crisis within that decision because obviously, I mean, not obviously, but I'm sure the party definitely will side with Biden, but the people might side with Sanders. And that, I mean, <laughs> it's a bit scary to think about that your interests are not being represent, represented by the convention. Um, and if that affects like who your president is going to be, it's really appalling and it's alarming. Yeah, going off of that issue you just presented and especially like whether or not we should be turning to the popular vote, like how do you think we should address like, I guess the issues that other people present about why we do keep the electoral college, which is the fact that it gives, you know, it requires candidates to appeal to voters outside, you know, large cities and it increases like the political influence of smaller states. So, is there, do you have any ideas about like how we could go around addressing that issue? 
What I've seen is that though not having a direct popular vote avoids, you know, just campaigning in larger cities, having the electoral college means that instead of just campaigning in larger cities, candidates are campaigning in like more populated states, especially for like the early caucuses like Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina got so much attention because, I mean, they're the first states to vote. They basically set a precedent for the rest of the election. So, I mean, it's sort of a double-edged sword. Either you have candidates campaign in larger cities and with the direct popular vote, or you have them campaigning in like larger states like California or Texas, or just in states that go first, like Iowa, New Hampshire. There's no clear answer. I mean, (laughs) I feel like that's like this entire podcast. There's no clear answer. That's what we're seeing. And it's so frustrating to say that, but there really isn't. There's no just one solution that could just fix everything. I mean, this whole time we've been talking about this uncertainty, of course, I want to see how it all plays out in terms of how, you know, following Super Tuesday, how again, like I mentioned before, how the voters of other candidates are going to be persuaded, whether it be to Sanders or Biden. Um, And then overall, I guess, in terms of the vice presidential candidates um, and who each candidate will pick as their vice president, as their running partner, I've heard a lot of different speculations, I guess. I mean, some people think that Biden should pick Buttigieg. And as someone who actually supported a lot of Buttigieg's policies, I mean, that's one thing, but also I don't think it's really likely that like a a white man (laughs) presidential candidate is going to choose another white man as his running partner. Um, So I guess Harris, I guess, was was seen as another option. And yeah, I'm I'm kind of unsure about who exactly I would like to see as vice president. And I'm curious to see how much that would change my perspective on each candidate when they do pick their running partners. For the most part, my biggest takeaways from this conversation are, I think, I do think that we should have a popular vote. Um, I also think we should have ranked choice voting, even though we didn't get to talk to that. Um, And I also think that we need to work on setting up more polling stations near campuses so that young people can get out and vote. I don't know. I don't. I don't know who should be vice president. Personally, I don't think that any of the candidates so far would make, like, would complement Bernie's policy to the extent that I think he's looking for. But I trust him to pick a good vice president. Um, And I've actually seen some speculation that AOC would be his vice president, but I think that she belongs in the house. I think she does amazing work there. Um, and I really want her to stay as a part of Congress. But for the most part, I trust Bernie to make a good decision. And that's why right after this recording, I'm signed up to phone bank for him. So no matter who you support, go campaign for your candidate. Something I got from this conversation is that there's serious flaws in our democracy not just in on a national level, but of course on a party level. I mean, as much as we can say that, you know, the Democrats, like, we're better or they're better than the Republicans or in, like, picking candidates or having diversity, I mean, there's clearly some sort of issue since we're still left with two white male candidates at the end of the day. So 
I guess just finding some sort of way, some solution, some way to have more inclusivity is what we can do. That's like the best thing we can do. Um, exploring the gray area of all these different issues is probably the most important thing. Just sort of discovering, you know, what is the best way to handle things. Um, finding a medium, not really trying to go for either side of like a, a spectrum and like what to do, but sort of finding a medium that sort of works for everybody. I think that's probably the best thing for this nation because we're already incredibly polarized. So the last thing we need is some sudden change that just tears us apart again. Um, but for VP, I have no idea, honestly. I mean, in my opinion, um, literally anyone is better than Mike Pence. Um, <laughs> the vice president right now does not affect me that much or like I don't have a preference to who it would be. That's all for today, friends. I'm editor Sarita Adabala signing off for all of us at Next Generation Politics. Please check out our website at www.nextgenpolitics.org to find out more about our work. And please recommend us to your civic-minded friends or to your friends you'd like to become more civic-minded. Thanks for listening.